Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Podcast, episode 108, entitled Edward C. Reed. Now, for those of you who don't know me or uh, aren't longtime listeners of the show, uh, that's me. Um, you, you know me as Very Honored Frater BT. I'm usually interviewing someone else, but see what happened was, you probably read the description, but I'll go through it anyway, just in case you haven't. Uh, very honored Frater RC, who you know already, you should. If not, uh, he's in a lot of episodes. I recommend those episodes, uh, but we'll skip that for now. Uh, he runs a school. I mean, we'll skip the biography just because the, the episode's going to be really long anyway. Um, and I think I've given his biography two or three times already. Uh, but he's, a, he's an old friend, and he's an author. And if you search on Amazon for Frater R.C., F-R-A-T-E-R space R-C, you'll see all of his books. Um, so he has a school as well. And uh, I had the privilege of being a guest teacher yesterday. I don't know what day that was, but, uh, you know, it was yesterday. Anyway... Um, so he recorded it, he sent it to me, and, uh, I edited it down because it's a private class, um, and there were a number of people there from different places and they had questions. There's one or two points where you might hear a voice say something, uh, but I did my best, you know, to, to cut most of that out and not out of disrespect to anybody, but for privacy. Uh, so people can say, hey, that's my... Jed's voice, he's doing some kind of a cult thing. No, we, we, we'll edit that out. And so I just kind of kept in the pertinent parts. You'll notice there's a, there's, it, it cuts to the intermission music from Monty Python every now and then. Um, that's, you know, the parts I cut out. Uh, like, for example, the really big spoilers about uh, Thomas and the Wolf. I hope this is in focus. Um, if that doesn't make sense. I'm talking to the people on YouTube. Uh, you're still listening to the to the audio only version. Well, you're a busy you're a busy person. I understand. Uh, sometimes you got to listen to it during the morning jog or on the way to work. But uh, just so you know, there is a YouTube channel. You can just go to YouTube right now and type in Esoterra Nerd. Click 108, the 108 episode, and you'll be seeing me looking you in the eye right now like a good uh, new age guru, the inappropriate prolonged eye contact. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, before we get to that though, uh, oh, I'm supposed to say, but first, transformation. I recorded that a long time ago. Um, this is the uh, segment in which I recite portions of my dad's book, which is now available on Amazon, Transformations, if that's not in focus, uh, by John Dan Reeb. If you just type in R-E-I-B on Amazon, uh, you'll get all my books and you'll get his book as well, Transformations. I highly recommend it. He wrote it in 1976. I started with chapter one, ep uh, chapter one verse one, back in, oh, I don't know, Esoteric Nerd episode 12, I think, or something like that. And, uh, and then, you know, we've been revisiting it and we're up to chapter five. We left off with chapter five, verse nine. So I'm today I'm going to read 
uh, Transformations chapter 5, verses 10 through 17. This is Transformations by John Dan Reeb. Chapter 5, verse 10. It works to go with the flow in the flesh place or any other place. You and I both know that we are going with the flow anyway, and that if we resist the flow, we get pulled along and maybe dashed against one of the agreements. Verse 11. The thing is, you and I, we're here, right? What works then? Verse 12. Failing to find what works, we find what doesn't work. In each case, we have what? Works. Verse 13. Get it? Works include what works and what doesn't work. Jesus said, by their works shall ye know them. He was doing nothing more or less than directing traffic in the direction in which it was already going. Verse 14. So then, it works to do what works. The thing is that journeyers know that whatever happens, we remain alive. Flesh place fear junkies think that they have to do something about it to survive. That's the problem. Verse 15. Flesh place fear junkies, with all the best expectations, or even some nasty expectations, do negative things that work in programming negative results. Flesh place fear junkies come from needing to survive, so they opt for survival rather than getting that they are alive. Thus, they operate from the need to become better and fear of getting worse. They get stuck in getting worse a lot, even when they have agreement that whatever they've got is better. It's what it tastes like and feels like and is like that it's worthwhile to tell the truth about. Verse 16. When it's supposed to be sweet and isn't, that's when many flesh place fear junkies get curious and or nasty. Sometimes they pop out of their flesh tubes permanently for this time around, trying to prove that they are right and that it does taste sweet like the ads and everybody else they listen to and imitate says it should, when it really doesn't for them personally. Verse 17. Or, flesh place fear junkies may be running a revolving life tape around something that feels sweet and doesn't produce sweetness for others. Then they boo-hoo about it and make it right and others who don't do it wrong, or make it wrong and justify it by making themselves right and getting agreement that they're right for other things they do, and by voting when they've already voted. You and I know this. We also know something else. It is important 
to warn the violence fetishists among the flesh place fear junkies to watch out for stereotypes. Graven images, they are sometimes called. No footnotes for today. And so, without further ado, it's not really an interview. Uh, uh, let's call it a lecture that I gave to, uh, to, to very honored Fred R.C.'s class, uh, the Hermetic Mystery School. You can look that up. You can join it if you'd like. Uh, and so without further ado, let's get to that lecture, shall we? special guest welcome and welcome to our hermetic mystery school sunday class day sunday school hermetic mystery sunday school and this is uh edward reeb welcome fratter you guys might have heard of him as fratter bt of the esoteric nerd podcast um and hey edward uh yeah some of us haven't shown up yet because we are doing this at a special time usually it's at five but it's at noon today because you're in india where you live and uh I don't know if uh, you'll get your video working or whatnot. Yeah. And am I in? You're in. Am I here? Oh. You're here. Hello. Um, I, if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to know who's here. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, okay, I'll it. get right into it. You guys are. You guys. I don't want to. I don't want to bore you guys while I reminisce with. Uh, with uh, Fratter here, so I'll jump right in. Um, uh, what is, what's the time frame on this? Are we? Oh, take scheduled? your time. Uh, you okay. Know, we usually we you know about, about an hour, <coughs> but uh, you know I'm sure lots of people have questions. But it would also be great to hear about what you've been up to, what you've yeah. published, why you've published it, sure, um, sure, your podcast, and how you your bit of your journey. Your journey, of yeah. course, is intimately connected with uh, mine in many ways because we met in '97. Uh, yeah. the golden dawn and but didn't That's get to true. know each other really till 98 and your and, hair uh, was down here <laughs> yeah, yes it was thanks for reminding me of like yeah, yeah. my greatest shame <laughs> oh no 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 i won't waste any more time you know so time, yeah time is valuable and thank you for thank you very much for inviting me to come on here thank you for coming and sharing your time with me and uh you know giving it value and and all of that and i will do my best to you know, uh, pass along something so you can say, hey, I'm glad I did that. Um, so I'll get to my personal stuff, but I want to jump in with uh, kind of the lecture, I guess. And yeah. feel free to ask questions if you have questions. So there's two things I want to read. Um, two parts of, uh, I just realized it's 1 a.m. and I've got my landlord on the other side of the door there, so I should probably stop shouting. Um, <laughs> uh, and by the way, I'm in India, if you guys didn't know. I'm in Goa, India. Um, okay, so I wanted to read a little bit of, uh, is that backwards? No. Are you seeing that backwards? Okay. No. So this is David Lynch. You might be familiar with some of his movies uh, or his uh, famous TV show, uh, Twin Peaks. It, you might not be into David Lynch. That's okay. Um, it's the content of what he's saying that I, that I want to share because it relates to the lecture, which is about U1, which is a inner order golden dawn document part of it um anyway so i'll just i'm going to read this and um, i'll tell you where where it's from this is from the introduction 
of uh, David Lynch's Catching the Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. So I don't know if uh, there was a title for this, but the title that I was thinking, it might sound kind of weird and esoteric, but it's You One, uh, Inspiration, Imagination, and Tiferet, or Tifaret, as my Hebrew teacher would say. Um, okay, here we go, introduction. Ideas are like fish. If you want to catch little fish, you can stay in the shallow water. But if you want to catch the big fish, you've got to go deeper. Down deep, the fish are more powerful and more pure. They're huge and abstract, and they're very beautiful. I look for a certain kind of fish that is important to me, one that can translate to cinema. But there are all kinds of fish swimming down there. There are fish for business, fish for sports. There are fish for everything. Everything, anything that is a thing comes up from the deepest level. Modern physics calls that level the unified field. The more your consciousness, your awareness is expanded, the deeper you go toward this source and the bigger fish you can catch. Uh, yeah, and he goes on to talk about how his his personal practice was in the in TM, which was founded, uh, you know, just a few miles from here over in Rishikesh uh, by uh, Mah Maharat Maharishi, Maharishi Mahesh. And it's, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, you, there, there's a there's a famous uh, you know uh, time when the Beatles went and hung out with Maharishi, and in the end, uh, John Lennon and uh, Ringo and uh, Paul were all kind of not into the Maharishi's weird kind of inappropriate behavior. Uh, but George Harrison loved him. He just saw right through it and he was like, ah, it's his way. And so George Harrison supported him for the rest of his life. And uh, so, you know, uh, yeah, with things like that, it, you run into that anywhere. You run into that in Golden Dawn where you're reading, you read 15 books by an author and then you find out he's some kind of molesting creep and it's always heartbreaking. But it happens uh, if you get into Tibetan Buddhism with Shimalaya. It happens if you're into Catholicism. It happens if you're in Golden Dawn and probably Thalema too. I don't know much about Thalema, so um, uh, yeah. So so that's David Lynch, and again, he goes on to talk about TM transcendental meditation. Um, you know, a path is a path is a path. If you're uh, into Zen, then be into Zen. If you want to join a Zen monastery, join a Zen monastery. Otherwise, you can pick up Shobo Genzo. It's the original text. It's been translated into English, and I do recommend it. I, I was into Zen for a while, but anyway, my point is. Um, the path is less important. Today, because, uh, you know, we're on a, I, I assume you guys are, yeah, you're talking about getting into this stuff. I assume this stuff is magic, right? Uh, the occult, the Western mystery tradition, as it were. So, uh, so I'll look at it primarily through that lens. Um, but yeah, so inspiration, imagination, and creativity. One thing, so I'll start with inspiration. Now, just briefly, before I get into this. No, actually, I should get into that first. No, well, anyway, inspiration uh, is, uh, you know, from a root word uh, that, that has to do with breath. Maybe, Fred, or you, you know more specifically. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's the in-breath. It's the inhale. It's the, uh, the spirit. The, 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 the spirit comes in. Vini sanctu spiritu is uh, descend Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Inspiration is that. Uh, some people call it Holy Spirit. Other people call it froth. Or whatever you know, um, or silence, or uh, or what have you. So then, imagination in in a in a 
tree of life context, we're talking about Typhirid. So the, the astral plane, if, um, well, we're all coming from kind of a magical perspective, so I'm not going to like do the disclaimer for people who are like ardent atheists and only believe in neurons firing and uh, all that. We'll just skip that part. Um, uh, so imagination is above the astral plane in the sense, uh, obviously, when I, when I say above, I'm talking about the tree of life. Um, I happen to have one right here. Uh, so so the, the astral plane, as it's usually thought of and depicted in the movies, uh, you know, anyway, I won't get started on that, is here, like uh, right there above Malkut. Um, this is the place where all of the forces of the tree of life funnel down into what is called the great one of the night of time. And Saturn is the ruling planet of, of this path. So it's all kind of being condensed into time. So if you notice when you have a dream, for instance, you wake up and you say, yeah, my brother was there. It was my old school. It's, you didn't go very far. You, you're still kind of here. You're, you're, you're like right next but you're in Malcolm because you left your body. But uh, through varying practices and through, and, and again, this is, again, one path. I'm not saying this is dogma. This is the blueprint of the universe that God himself gave me. I'm not one of those guys. Some people will say that or, or imply that, but I'm not. I, I just mean to use it as a useful map. Um, so so Yesod and uh, Netzach and Hod are what's called the astral triangle. So some people see that and then they assume, oh, that's where the astral is, is this whole general area up here. And it's sort of like, yes and no, usually not. Um, usually when we're talking about astral projection or, you know, oh, I felt it astrally, we're, we're talking about below Yasod. And Yasod is kind of where we begin. So it's an interesting map because the entire infinite universe or finite, whichever side of that fence you fall on, um, is uh, is here? I mean, in the in this diagram is in Malkut. Um, you could you could say the multiverse for those of you who are Marvel fans or you know uh, who were into that before they got into it. Um, that that's all here, all of it. Even uh, what's his name? Uh, are you guys watching uh, What If? The uh, the Watcher. The Watcher is like maybe right here at the bottom of the astral plane, just looking down at this big chunk of rock. So um, then there's us, and we're here um this is our this is our head and this is our groin figuratively speaking talking more about the soul um strictly speaking uh the soul usually refers to the ruach in uh in golden dawn or thalamic uh, terminology so the soul this do, doesn't include this um but but, <laughs> big but, um, the, the soul wouldn't exist without this. So it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's like if the soul were, say, me on your screen right now, that's a weird example, then, the, then the, the electrical plug, it's plugged in, you know, when we just take it for granted that it's plugged in. And that's, uh, that's our sort of our relationship with Kether. So everything spirit moves through, everything animates everything, physical, astral, and, and, and every other way. 
what am I going on about Fratter? I don't even, I'm not even going, I have no direction. I'm just like, which way is the way? Okay, no, no, no. I'm supposed to be getting somewhere with this. Um, so I've, I've so, always enjoyed how you talk about the tree ah! of life, brother. I've always enjoyed it. You've, you've been, I've been hearing you do it for many a decade and, uh, burn the dog class or never a waste of time oh, to hear no. an in-depth talk about the tree of life, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. So in, 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 old times, back in ancient Egypt, um, these were called the Ba and the Ka. So the Ba is the, is the you that resembles you kind of. And then the Ka is the real you, but it's the one that's been watching, observing, without any judgment whatsoever, behind everything this entire time. And so all the thinking and all the emotion and all of that stuff and all the memories and then dying and forgetting things and mourning and then being born again and having to start over as a baby and then doing that a hundred thousand more times, that has all kind of gone on in front of the real you, which is the Ka. So um, a, a person who is preferential toward uh, sort of an external form of religion may, may wish to view it as I'm me and I'm talking to God and God is all powerful and all knowing and it's hubris and not to mention heresy for me to say otherwise. And so that's fine. You can relate to the, the, the oneness that way too. New Agers will say, you know, uh, I am. That's me. That's I. I am. I, I. I. The great I. That's me. You know. And and then you know the Christians get upset and they make YouTube videos about it back and forth. So um, so you know what? Let me just get to the reading and then we can have kind of a reference point for what the heck I'm talking about. Um, but, but no. Let, let me finish what I was saying. Here. So my point is, imagination is up here in Typhirit, Typhirit, um, and when we're growing up in the the outer world in the in the mundane existence and uh as as babies being indoctrinated into this uh you know big board cube um we're told that's just your imagination and uh and so imagination comes to be thought of like the word no or the word bad or the word well you know some other words that kids learn as being Oh, that's not a good word. Reality, real life, real world. That's a good, that's good. I need to grow up and get in the real world and stop living in my head and stop imagining things. Um, so, but for a creative person, that's, well, you know, uh, that's the opposite of what you want to do, right? Um, you, I mean, not to say that living in your head is healthy always, but, um, you know, to, to tap into that creative flow, to get more creative flow. If you have some creative flow to, to, to open up, to be able to receive more creative flow. And, uh, so that's, that's the point of what I want to talk about. I just want to provide some tools for you to use for that, whether you are a painter, whether you are a computer programmer, whether you are HR, whatever it is. Um, so to, to bring, uh, of not only life but and goodness, but a divine uh, character and nature to the to the word and to the concept of, of imagination, and it's linked with inspiration in the context of you one from uh, this book. You guys know that book, right? Do you have one? I mean, there's the little black one. The pages might be different, but you can find the same thing in there. Um, so I'm going to read again and I'm going to, I'm skipping a lot. Um, so I, I do recommend reading this because, you know, I'd take up half the time if I read the whole, this whole, the U1 document. So I skipped a bunch where basically it talks about 
okay, the tree of life is you, and you are the tree of life. Your right arm is Gibraltar, your left arm is said, and then it goes on and on and on and on and on. It talks about your fingers and your eyes and your nose and everything. So that's the part I skipped. Um, the spiritual consciousness is a focus of the action of neshama. Neshama is basically uh, you in the supernals. There's the greater neshama, which is the uh, all three supernals, and there's the lesser neshama, which is related to bina only. Uh, but when we talk about higher self, that's usually what we mean, though there are higher selves than that. The hiya and the yakida, I'm white. Yeah. It's, it's beyond the veil. I have to keep it secret. No. Um, okay. So the lower willpower should control the descent of the spiritual consciousness into the Ruach and thence into the Nefesh. The Nefesh in Golden Dawn terms is uh, related to Yisod. It's the, the you and Yisod. Uh, your what they call animal nature, but eh, in 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 golden dawn circles, nefesh tends to get a weird kind of like, especially coming from that sort of Puritan uh, Victorian era, you know. And some people kind of grasp onto that. In a, uh, we we came from a a, a temple where uh, there was a lot more Catholicism than other golden dawn orders, and so uh, the obscene ones were the the klipoth of Yusod. And uh, and so and so the nefesh was you're nefeshing. Oh, don't think about that girl. You're nefeshing. But uh, nefesh is a Hebrew word, which means soul. It also means tombstone. And uh, basically, I don't know. I can send you guys. I'll send you guys some PDFs if you're interested. But just to give you the short version. Um, back in the day when the church was barbecuing people for having original thoughts, there was uh, a guy, probably, you know, they called him Christian Rosencruz, but he's probably more than one guy. There was a phenomenon more like where people would travel and they would go outside of Europe and they would go into North Africa, which back then was like where civilization was. You could, uh, you could write, someone could give you a check in Spain, what's now called Spain, and you could cash it in Mecca and uh and beyond and uh that was going on a thousand years ago <laughs> and then more like uh, what 700 years ago some people started bringing mercantilism and banking across uh into europe and hence the stereotypes but uh but anyway so so anyway there were a few monks crc is a notable one and uh who who or you know if he's a mythological character i don't know but uh the story goes that he went to africa and he learned whatever the heck I'm talking about. Oh yeah, no, he learned about uh, the Kabbalah and he learned about uh, elemental spirits. He learned from some of the pagan traditions, what you know, the Christians call pagan, which is just non-Christian basically. Um, and uh, you know, elemental spirits and this kind of thing. And then he went to Spain, which was still Al-Andalus. It was, uh, this isn't a history lesson. Okay, so, <laughs> so he came back and he um, started teaching the Kabbalah secretly in whispered tones in the basements of, of monasteries. And then that got passed on for a hundred years. And then, then they finally came out and posted the fama all over like some cool, like uh, occupy people. I don't know. That was a swift move, just like announcing their existence with a piece of paper and then just who put those pieces of paper there. That's weird. Um, so gosh, sorry. My brain sometimes jumps off the track and then I have to figure out what the heck I was talking about. So that's why Nefesh, it, it means something different 
in uh, the Golden Dawn than in uh, than in what what we might call kosher Kabbalah, traditional Jewish Kabbalah. So if you go to the Kabbalah Center or if you read, uh, you know, there's plenty of books. There's a lot of interesting books. There's basically a one way flow there where uh, hermetic Kabbalists are really interested in reading the traditional Kabbalistic documents and traditional Kabbalists are really not interested in what the hermetic Kabbalists have to say with their weird, you know, sticking Greek gods on the tree of life or whatever, you know, um, and Jesus, not to mention. Um, okay, so I was reading. Um, so that's Nefesh. Neshama, Ruach, Nefesh. Okay. Uh, superego, ego, it. I'm joking. This isn't the superego. Okay. Um, for some, it can be for, for phone addicts. Okay. Um, where was I? the descent of the spiritual consciousness into the Ruach and thence into the Nefesh, for the consciousness must descend into the Nefesh before the images of the sphere of sensation can be perceived. <sighs> I'm going to stop reading and just explain it. Um, but I'll tell you, this is 129 of the, of the new book, and it's a U1 uh, document. In, uh, it says, The Microcosm, Man, and the Magical Mirror of the Universe is the title of the section. Um, so basically, uh, inspiration comes from Keter. It comes from our true self. It comes from our, our silent, existent, eternal void, you know, the, the, uh, the only being in an abyss of darkness part of the self. And then it comes down into Typhirit, which is the heart of the soul. It's related to Osiris and Yeshua and things like that. Um, but then it goes through a process before it goes down to Yesod. It, th these other spheres kind of weigh in and they all kind of say, say uh, oh, okay, so in order to do this, we'll need that. Oh, okay, uh, we'll need to put some energy here. Oh, you know, since we're not selfish bastards, we should, you know, include these people. You know, like, so all the... Uh, all the Sephirot have their say. They all kind of come together. Um, and then in a perfect world, in a perfect situation, that inspiration came in and everything went out and blossomed just right, like a rose, you know? And then the image of that rose comes down into Yisod and into the sphere of sensation. And then what's left, you pick up a pen and you write it down. You pick up a paintbrush and paint it. You... Uh, you do it. You you do what what the inspiration was. Now that's an ideal situation. Um, it's not always an ideal situation, which is where uh, David Lynch's advice about you know transcendental meditation or you know whatever works for you, um, pathworking in in uh, Golden Dawn or in Thelema, they do pathworking right, um, where. Uh, you clear out the channels. You, you, the, each of these is a tarot card. So you go into the tarot card and you meet the characters in the tarot card and you see if there's anything there that kind of shouldn't be or if there's something to learn, something to gleam, some uh, insight. And these are very deep things. They're not just images. Um, like for example, Hode is uh, called Reason. I think by Paul Foster case. Um, and uh, this path is the path of judgment. Now, of course, as they say in the practice initiation to the uninitiated eye, uh, this looks like the book of revelation, you know, where, where the dead are rising from the graves, the book of, you know, the, uh, the, the judgment card, but it's not, it's, uh, it's fire. It's a glyph of, of the uh, teachings 
the esoteric teachings behind the nature of fire and four different types of fire, solar fire, volcanic fire, and astral fire, and then the latent heat. Um, and that process of the judgment card, just focusing on that one card only, each of them has a similar process that's unique to that card. But with judgment, going through it and clarifying what is the solar fire, what is the volcanic fire, and what is the astral fire in this situation or in my life or in my mind or in my consciousness right now. And then the latent heat is the one, is you receiving the wisdom of these three. Um, so that process leads us to a place called reason, a place called the left brain. And, uh, and then from that left brain, when you sit in Hode and you look at Malkuth, you are looking through the path of judgment. And that is what judgment is, is when Spock, you know, Spock, am I, am I using a dated reference? Should I use a more? Oh, no, they did. They brought Spock back, didn't they, for discovery? So if you're a Vulcan, he's half human, bad example. If you're uh, Tuvok, then uh, then and you look at uh, you know what the humans are up to, it is not logical. You know, it's uh, there's a lot to criticize. You know, and uh, and so that's what it what it is to uh, be kind of an intellectual in a state of judgment looking at the world is there's actually that's a place you know that's not not an error it's not a way of life forever either but it, there's a place where that happens and it's hope and uh and then you can kind of triang triangulate you guys know about triangulation um triangulation just i'll just briefly uh I, you know the most fun example is when they put a radio satellite in Australia and another radio satellite in like Canada or, or Brazil and uh, they both look at the same part of the sky and then suddenly like with two eyes you can see the 3D image uh, you know the movie theater or the one in front of you um, the, uh, the the stars pop out they, they you, you see which ones are farther back and which ones are up in front so through triangulation like for example looking at the world through the eyes of uh, you know, Vedic astrology, uh, and then looking at the eyes, looking through Hindu, through Western astrology, um, you can start to see, wow, there's some very different things, but there's some things that are so similar. It's eerie, you know, like what's the story here? And then you get back into, you know, the proto-Indo-Europeans that we know nothing about. And there must've been a common ancestor, not just to the languages, but to a lot of the ideas on the gods and even the astrology of it. It's kind of mind blowing. Um, so that far afield, no. Okay. So what they talk about in this document, micro, the microcosm man and, uh, the magical mirror of the universe is uh, that in the drunkard, the sphere of sensation is warbling. That instead of uh, you know normal like like it's supposed to be, it it sort of rotates and spins and warbles. And so when the divine inspiration comes in, it's hopeless because you know this is shut down. This is like focusing on the wrong thing, and this is in another direction, and the the idea is gone. You've probably we've probably all had that experience where you're at a bar one night and you're like, oh, my God, I got to write that down. You know, and then the next morning you're like, I remember I wanted to write something down, but I have no idea what it was. Well, it could have been the next bestseller, you know. Um, so keep a pen and paper handy. That's that's another good good tip. But uh, or, you know, a phone, I guess I what I do is I just send an email with no address and then it saves in drafts automatically. So I just write the idea down, close it. It's done. 
Um, so, okay. So that's when you're drunk, <laughs> when you're asleep, it's another thing. And it's, uh, you know, also not, not ideal when you're awake, but you're on the freeway and do you have freeways up there? Uh, uh, you're on the highway, you're on the road. There's a bunch of people honking and you know, you're pissed off at the guy that just cut you off and you just cut someone else off and they're pissed off at you. And then divine inspiration comes also not an ideal situation. Um, if you're, if you're focused on this or that, uh, you know, not to say stop focusing on that thing. No, it's if if there's a thing like a, a loss, you know, a mourning period that you have got to go through before you can be creative again, then just go through it. It's okay. Um, if there's, uh, you know, some serious thing in the way that's, uh, that's a, that's a blockage. That's what, there's a lot of things that are that, that'll help with that. And one of them is path working and uh, working these teachings and just kind of like, reading it and then uh, taking it with a grain of salt. That's an expression that means don't, don't take it as dogma, but consider it. And then if you're working the system then say, all right, uh, you know, when you're playing chess, the, uh, the, 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 the knight moves like this. You don't move the knight like that. You know, that's the bishop. That's how the bishop works. And in golden dawn magic, same thing. It's uh, this is where your soda is not up here. This is where, uh, this is where Tzadi is, Mr. Crowley, not up here. Um, so a little inside joke. Uh, the kids. Um, our, our, so, our, uh, our member yeah. who's a, a Thelenic uh, person and just got initiated in the OTO is not here. So hopefully oh, she'll, oh. she'll appreciate your joke on the replay, <laughs> hopefully. You know, I find that most... A hundred percent, actually. I, I don't think I've met a, a, a thalamite, a self-identifying thalamite that didn't enjoy my perspective on things, even though I don't have the highest opinion of Crowley. I think that they don't either is the thing, you know, like they, <laughs> that's the point is it's founded by a guy who's not like someone you're supposed to kiss the ass of, like he told you not to, you know, and, and you listened, you know, <laughs> Buddha and Jesus said the same thing, but nobody listened, you know. Um, okay. Uh I don't know. I thought that one part of chapter three of the law was a little rude, but anyway. Um, okay. So, so when we work our reason, sometimes reason, uh, you know, wants to be the boss. Uh, there, this is called the perfect path in the Sefer Yetzirah. It's the place where not only can you see the whole picture of everything, but it's also the point where God can see the whole picture of everything and where you and God can coexist in a perfect space where everything makes perfect sense. So why would you go anywhere else? And why would you think that there's anywhere else to go or any higher to go? That's hope. So that's why the tower is the way out because you have to like take a sledgehammer and smash it to bits and then you're left there naked and terrified and then you realize that all that you are is a flower reaching for the sun that will only reach it in death and uh, then then you can start to move forward um so yeah so the point is that when we when we work all of these we work we get in touch with these the father and the mother um and you can do that you don't have to do it in a high magic snotty kind of you know diagrams this was this was this, this diagram right here that we all use, you know who drew this? We know his name, uh, Athanasius Kircher, right? And he was uh, a famous occultist. No, he was a Jesuit priest. He was a Catholic priest who uh, he, this was, this was when uh, 
there was a period where the best place to be when you want to study this stuff is in the church, because then you can just be a Jesuit and say, oh, well, I'm learning it so that I can use it against the enemies of Christ. And then they don't barbecue you. So it's a neat trick. Um, so <laughs> it's cracking up here. <laughs> so so anyway, uh, so so when you when you work out, so what I'm saying is you can you can go to a Wiccan circle in the woods and uh, and sing to the father and sing to the mother. You can uh, uh, call on the, the the spirit of primal water and the spirit of primal fire, and you can call them. Uh, Gaia and and Uranus, or or you can call them whatever you know. Um, in in this context, they're thought of as being two different names of the same one God because of the Anglicans who founded the Golden Dawn. Um, so that's that's their spin. You know, if you've read the Chaldean Oracles, it's very nice because it keeps going back and forth between oneness and multiplicity to such a degree that you stop seeing any difference that, you know, like when people say one name for many gods or many names for one God, it's like, whatever, you know, <laughs> you know, it's all kind of how you look at it. Um, so yeah, in that context, this is uh, yod heh vav Elohim, and this is Yah. Um, not to be confused with Jah, he was an Ethiopian, but same name, right? I, Oh, anyway, and the name also that name in particular, Yah, came from hmm. the, the Assyrian Yah, Ia, like you know, oh, yeah. that's where yeah, the Yah because yeah. it's pronounced Yah. And for uh, sure, when I did it, and there's probably the difference between traditional Golden Dawn and Thalema is, is traditional Golden Dawn doesn't go any deeper than sort of uh, that, that sort of Anglican Masonic understanding of the Bible where. Uh, where in Thelema, they'll kind of go deeper and underneath and around and upside down and say, okay, well, you say Lilith is a demon. I say that she's an ancient goddess. I'm going to invoke her tonight. You know, like, and uh, in Golden Dawn, they're like, what? <laughs> what? The queen of demons? What? And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't self-identify as being, I just happen to have spent 20 years in a Golden Dawn order. And then, and then I quit. I, yeah, I, did, I never went into the personal stuff and I'm not going to do it now. I will later, but uh, but yeah, for me, it's been eight years since I left and uh, dove heavily into Buddhism and yoga, which eventually led me on a pilgrimage to India where I met a beautiful Indian woman and then we got married and then now we live in Goa. And, uh, and so, so I've gotten enough distance from my uh, sort of, not the greatest experience of a Golden Dawn Order uh, that that now I can kind of look back on the, the fond memories and smile and kind of joke about the shitty memories, you know. Uh, but there were there were a few solid years there where there was just not much but anger. And uh, and if somebody wanted to talk to me about Golden Dawn, I'd be like, no, thanks, man. You know, I'm going to just go do yoga. You know? So so it was a long process as cult survivor cult survival is. Um, but I can take the the little gems I got along the way and share those without the the horse shit that it came with. Uh, you did you did yoga hopefully. after after uh, after the order. I, I joined a band. A lot of people have to do something intense <laughs> yeah, exactly. to take Fill all that energy. That space. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for and for, so I'll just throw in though. So Edward for a while was Edward and I are part of a very small handful of people as he invokes the holy goddess of nature into his body right now. I'll share some details. Thank you. Okay, Um, cobra. (laughs) It's a cobra. 
Um, yeah, but you got it from my wife. Um, I love it. We're, we're, it's an entheogenic class. Um, so we, <laughs> we're, we're part of a very small handful of people who have gotten to not just fulfill one major role in Golden Dawn temples and orders, but pretty much all of them. Um, and uh, Edward, Edward was around a lot longer than I, I did. And both of his parents also were magicians like mine. We were very similar. When I joined the order at 15, a year later, I met him and his girlfriend uh, at the time, and they were both 16. And it was very, you can imagine how amazing it was for me to be so young and then see the, and all, encounter all of a sudden there's two other kids there. One of the last nights that I'm in L.A., and it's like, oh, my God. And the next year I got to meet them pro more properly. We were all in practice mm. by that point, though you, I think, mm. were in Philosophus. And you spent a long time in Philosophus in Portal, I believe, while you were in mm. a band and living the good life in Pasadena. But very few people have gotten to fill all the roles. <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go <laughs> yeah. there. No, it was a shitty time. My house got on fire and my mom died. Yeah, yeah there I was remember. a lot of drugs involved. There was fun involved, but mostly the drugs were self-medication. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, your mom's death was was very sad. I was very glad I got to meet her that first year um, yeah. when I first met you. Oh, that was the year I skipped. Yeah, I was. Uh, that yeah. was my 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 six months off. I uh, yeah. I I my they kicked my proctor out, and I thought it was unjust, and so I was sort of leaving in protest. And I said, I don't want to leave as a practicus, so I got initiated into philosophers, and that was the last thing I went to for about six months. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that was the the power week that Polk Runyon came to. Yes, and it was. So he and my mom got to to talk, and uh, well, they knew each other back in the seventies, and my dad knew Polk Runyon. There was a bit of a falling out, so they had a bit of a reconciliation that I wasn't a part of, and I wasn't sure how I felt about. It. And then years later, I got into it with Polk on Alt Magic. Uh, nobody remembers news groups back before social media. There were these oh, so news nice groups. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so Poke Runyon was there as Gnome de Plume. I don't know if he still uses that name. Like Gnome, like a G-N-O-M. <laughs> Sorry. Ali alias name of Feather. Anyway. Very funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I was there as Gwydion back when nobody knew I was Gwydion, you know. Um, but then someone outed me. John Brawl, I think, outed me. And, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, so, John Brawl. I forgot him. Yeah. So I was there defending the what I now call the Procrustean order of the limited value international trademark. Uh, that, that was the name of the order we were in. It was actually Hermetic Order of the Morning Star International or Homsey. That was uh, at one point. Another time it was called. I actually liked that name for the order. Yeah, we, yeah, we stayed nice. Golden Dawn in Canada because we legally had registered as that and we could. Mm -hmm. But in the States, you guys mm -hmm. can. But I like the Morning Star name. It's it's more similar to the Stella Matstein. I just think it's cool. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really true. care. Most of us didn't care, but and, a lot of people did care about the name. Yeah. And they still do. They're still doing a legal, legal battle, eh? They're still fighting with Griffin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah. So, um, did I... No, yeah, basically, does anybody have any questions about what I, did I, did I make a, did I say anything at all? <laughs> I was mostly talking about, like, creating space for creativity. Creating space can mean deep meditation and silence and darkness, or with a candle, or whatever you prefer, um, or with the ocean in front of you, or whatever it is. Um, mostly setting aside 20 to 30 minutes minimum, you know, or 10, you know, or five even to, you know, put down the phone. <laughs> that's step one. <laughs> like if that's the state, no judgment here. I'm an addict too. Um, you know, you can start with, okay, twice a day for 20 minutes, I'm turning off my phone, you know, and then I'm going to try not to like look at it or reach for it. 
that's the world we live in now. Um, you know, earlier today, I have this one phone that needs to see my face in order for the bank to, so I was at the ATM. And because I'm in India and because shady things happen here sometimes, my bank occasionally blocks my card. So there I am, right, at the ATM. There's people waiting behind me. I've got my mask on because I'm using the ATM. You have to have your mask on. And so I've got my phone and then I get a notification and the thing says, your card is blocked. And I'm like, okay. And so I've got like my wallet in one hand and my card in the other, and I've got my phone in the other, and I'm taking off my mask so that my bank app can recognize that it's me so that I can unblock the card so I can put the mask back on. <laughs> what the hell is going on? Such a weird world now. Okay, sorry. Uh, I'm not question anyone. about what you said um, before we open it up to general questions sure, about sure. anything, which is what we'll do. Oh, yeah. Do. Oh, and I'll talk about my books a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, please. Mm -hmm. um, a general question, because because we did, I did do a little module on pathworking for these guys, mm -hmm. and it's up on the site oh, so they can all get into it at any point. Mm -hmm. Though I think most of them are taking me seriously when mm -hmm. I hope so, folks. But when I when I constantly talk about the value of the tarot contemplation right. ritual, because really, mm -hmm. in my experience, that ex exercise of create of deconstructing the card and being open to to an, a message from that whiteness is the muscle building tool yeah. exercise that builds that muscle for every other exercise, especially path right. working, even yeah. in vocation and scrying. Um, mm. Not to mention if you want to practice things like psychism or telepathy or any of that stuff, yeah. the tarot yeah. contemplation exercise is, is exactly the exercise that builds that muscle of open mm. reception so that you might actually get a transmission from the macrocosm, which is right. what you need if you want to find out what card is flipped upside down that you can't see with your physical eyes. You need yeah. to penetrate and rend that veil psychically through the into the macrocosm. Otherwise, you're not going to see what the actual card is. You're just going to see yeah. your, your own sphere's reflection. Um, so that's... But so moving from tarot contemplation into path working, you're talking about the issues that arise when going through certain paths to different sephirot. And I was thinking, you said basically two things about being open to inspiration from the higher self and the way we do that through openness to creativity and imagination, letting that flow through the us. But mm -hmm. also parallel with that, it seems like you're saying the operations, when you go into each of those tarot paths and bring and resolve the issues that arise in them. You create right. a clarity of transmission yeah. so that divine light can flow down through us more clearly and more yeah. accurately we can receive knowledge of our neshama. Of what the, yeah, what the what the vision is. Yeah, and it's an uh, essential thing you're talking about. Yeah, when David Lynch, they ask him, uh, so when you, do you come up with these ideas while you're meditating? And he says, no, 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 that's not meditation. And uh, he explains, meditation, is how I allow myself to expand into the unified field or the Akashic record or whatever you want to call it, the collective consciousness, the collective unconscious. That in, in silence, by letting go of the finite things that we allow us to willingly and unwillingly, unknowingly identify us or anchor us here in this world. I always, when I would do... Uh, Maybe you do this too, but when I, especially if we're going to do path working, I always involve the uh, symbolism of the altar of burnt offering and the lever of brass, which is from the Old Testament and from uh, from our zealotor uh, practice in the Golden Dawn, and uh, it, using it in a specific way that um, the altar burnt offering in this exercise, I always explain that if you throw something in, that doesn't mean you're like intending to destroy it. It's not like you're saying, you know, if you have like your mother's 
a doll or something you cannot let go of. You know, you just have to make sure that wherever you go in your whole life, you got to make sure that it's there. In this visualization, you would throw it in the fire. And it doesn't mean that you're going to like curse it to fall on the ground or that you hate your mother. It just means that that's the shape of the key that unlocks the door out of here <laughs> is, uh, is, is you take all the stuff that you just can't live without and you put it in the fire and then you take one more step and then you're out. And it's as easy as taking a deep breath and closing your eyes. And you can do it anytime you can do it right now. You can, you can do it uh, with a lot of complex, interesting things to focus on, which is a useful thing for a certain type of mind. Uh, you know, or you can do without that. Um, and the, uh, I mean, the, I think my explanation about, about judgment is a good example. We could go into other examples of how these cards are, uh, they're very deep and useful. I mean, abstract archetypes, abstract enough to really tap into our own. It's a kind of self-hypnosis language. Um, the LBRP have done well. Um, I know in the OTO, they teach you to say, okay, Ate, Malku, Figabura, Redundant, you know, but if you, if you intone it like a, like a deacon, you know, in some kind of like Russian Orthodox, you know, you just like really get into it and embody Ata, Malku, let alone the the rest of it. Um, You get yourself into a very nice alternate state of consciousness without drugs, uh, without need for anything. You know, the drugs are all produced in here and a few other places. Um, and uh, and these are all tools, the robes and all that are tools to uh, to unlock those things within ourselves. Um, and uh, shoot, I did it. I did it again. I, I lost my train of thought. If, if um, anyone yeah. can tell, uh, he is actually, in fact, a Vulcan, ah. literally, because you're, you're, uh, as my mom would say, Vulcan rules your, your, your sun sign. Though oh. traditionally it was Mercury, but she would say oh, now, okay, it be okay. Vulcan. I'm glad you're enjoying that. Um, that's the pathworking specifically. Oh, I recommend episode seventy-seven if you're at all interested in Buddhism, even a little. Um, it's, it's a, worth a listen. It's about three hours, but there's a lot of music. I made, I made, a I made volume eight of Suryangama Sutra into a, a little bit of a funny, whimsical, uh, musical number. I mean, I don't sing, but there's, uh, you know, like things like Depeche Mode and, and then like Tibetan bells and, you know, <laughs> nice. but it's related and there's always a demon and, and the, uh, the theme from, uh, what was that? Curb your enthusiasm. That happens whenever the demon possesses uh, like one of these idiots that think they're a guru because they had one or two experiences. And then the demon like uses them as a puppet to run around and start, um, you know, shady cults and lead everybody astray. It's really cool. (laughs) There's it goes through 10 different examples of how that can go and 10 different types of demons that possess people who think that they're gurus and what types of cults they make it's really neat <laughs> so so i recommend that one tannic fire a uh, quick quick little thing while he gets back in yeah and so the three kinds of fire are also called odd ob and or um in hebrew um and it's a, some very interesting texts actually i was just looking at um some notes i made uh when i was actually staying with edward uh in la Probably this is these are some notes I made from about 2002, Edward, on the perpetual intelligence, which of course is 
uh, one of the paths that you were talking about um, in the in the three equals eight initiation. So it's cool. I just found these notes here on that that I that I wrote. Like you know, while we were how cool still doing some stuff. Yeah. So <clears throat> so okay. The question was on. Can you just oh, say oh, more about yes. the volcanic fire? Volcanic fire. Good question. Good question. Yeah, I went through all that very quickly. Um, now, one thing I'll say is in in traditional 130 years ago. Uh, you would have had to wait, young man, to find out about the volcanic fire. Because really, you ought to be a master of the first three grades. And then you go through the initiation and you learn from the gods themselves in a trippy-ass temple setting in a sing-song voice. That's when you learn about the volcanic fire. So when people complain about people breaking their oath of secrecy, it's basically because they're denying you the opportunity to have the same experience that W.B. Gates had when he learned about the volcanic fire. Oh, well. So here it is. I'm going to deny you that experience. The volcanic <laughs> fire <clears throat> relates to the central, the left figure on the uh, judgment card, which they can call Pluto or, or Typhon or whatever. It doesn't matter. He's the destructive fire. Now, keep in mind that he comes from the creative fire. The solar fire creates the other two, uh, the, the astral fire and the uh, volcanic fire. And all things in the universe, all things in the multiverse pour out, continually pour out of the solar fire and are born in swarms through the vast abysses of the universe. And... Um, and so the volcanic fire is the one that destroys things. So occasionally, you know, you get a rock and it grows a little bit of mold. And after a few millennia, you've got metropolises and stuff like that. And then the volcanic fire comes along and goes, and people get scared and go, oh, no, it's the end of the world. Um, so that's volcanic fire. <laughs> it's, it's also our own death. And it's the destruction of uh, things that we thought were going to last longer, but then they're gone all of a sudden, whether they be ideas or people or uh, does that, does that answer your question? It's not exactly. Yeah, the green thank you. Yeah. It, un <laughs> it, 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 yeah. it, un it unties atoms like shoelaces. It's the destroyer, but it's not like a bad guy, you know, I mean, it's sort of like Shiva or something. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, and then the, 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 the question uh, for, for you David Lynch fans, what are we leaving out? The uncle um, is the astral fire. Um, that was a weird reference. I'm sorry. Uh, it, which, is, which is the right basal angle, the lower right angle. There's the two women, Persephone and Hades or whatever you want to call them, Nephis and Isis. Um, and that's the astral fire, which is also comes from that solar fires issued as, as, she, as she explains um, uh, the soul being a brilliant fire by the power of the father remaineth immortal. So the astral fire is basically what we call, you know, kind of us. <laughs> um, it's the soul. It's the, it's the weird light moving around in the universe that kind of like animates things in strange and interesting ways. And it's, uh, and it's us. So, so then the, the, the process of the judgment card separates out, okay, what is this, you know, the source of it all? Okay, connect with that. All right, now, if the great destroyer came along right now, what all would that destroy? All right, and then I try to simulate that experience with the altar burnt offerings and say, throw, throw your mom's old doll in the fire and let it go. It's kind of like that, but with everything. 
Um, and then all that's left when you do, when you go through all that, all that's left is the astral fire and it's you. And then, uh, then you can move into hold. So, so sometimes people will uh, do the judgment card and they're like, yeah, I saw the character on the right and, the, and I talked to him and he said, hey, howdy. And then I kept going, I don't know why I'm doing it. Again, my dad came from Texas. Um, okay, so so you know, then they go into Hode, and they're like, "Yeah, I was in Hode. It was nice. Uh, I think I'm going to change the furniture." But like, they didn't actually go through the process to get there. Uh, and when they're visualizing the temple in Hode, they're not experiencing the nature of Hode. Um, so it's a it, the more you put into it, the more you get out of it. And sometimes that includes incense and oils, and you know, uh, mood lighting and and, and music. Um, the more you the more you plan for the experience, then the more you can kind of glean from it. And then you get more interesting poetry in your magical journal afterward. Um, so were there any other questions before I move on? Um, so I'm going to tell you a short story. I won't give away the whole, I'll, I'll just, I'll tell you kind of the main twist, but there are other twists. Um, okay, so this isn't a book I wrote. My dad wrote this. It's called Transformations in 1976. Pope Runyon, you know Pope Runyon? I mentioned him earlier. He uh, he gave him a he, he gave my dad's book a really good review, really good review, because um, they were friends uh, back in the day. Um, so what happened was, I was trying to quit smoking. Right, this was a few months ago here in Goa, and at the time we were staying in this uh, flat. They call them flats here because of British period. Anyway, um, and we were staying in this apartment and there wasn't a lot of space. So when we were quitting smoking, sometimes we would get irritable and it didn't go well with quitting smoking. So what we would do was we would get a hotel or we would get a, a space somewhere and then one of us would go there, one of us would stay back there. And then after a while, when we felt like it, we'd switch. And then we that way we'd uh, you know, go through the withdrawals. And if we're alone and grouchy, who cares? You know, if we're together and grouchy, then that's not so good. So there you have the reason why I was alone in this shack by the beach um, by myself for several days. And I was, uh, I was also, you know, trying to, trying to fast from my phone too. You know, I was, I was, uh, I brought my Buddhism books. I brought this, this Nyingma monk's robe uh, that I, I, well, it's a long story. It's it, when I, in Shobogenzo, it talks a lot about the Buddha, the Buddha's robe and the monk's robe and what it means. And it's it's sort of a magical symbol in in a certain from a certain point of view. Not to say that there's magic in Zen, but not to say that there's not magic in Zen. Um, it's sort of mu. Mu is the answer to that one, which means it's a dumb question. Um, okay, so rewind. So there I was is going to read this book and he's going to get to read uh his own words from his former life <laughs> oh, I in love the red it. letter text and so that's the subtext behind why i wrote the book but uh, i think people will enjoy the book because it's a it's a it's a nice tale of two very different people coming to find some kind of mutual understanding and though they may not agree they don't hate each other and uh, and the very last page is uh you know, here, I'll just read you the last paragraph. So total spoiler, total spoiler. The very last page of Thomas and the Wolf. Fun stuff, fun stuff. Why not make it fiction? Because when it's fiction, it's, you know, it's like uh, well, in Lord of Illusions, they had the real magician pretending to be a fake magician because if it's stage magic, eh, you can levitate, you can fly, you can turn things into other things and everybody just thinks you're just a brilliant 
stage magician that's a, that's but, a great film if anyone hasn't seen it it's it's a, it's uh it's it's it a little really horror. it's borderline horror really um yeah. that matters to you uh one and way that, or the other that the leader the cult leader is very much reminiscent of our old cult leader well yeah <laughs> the guy who, has the same voice and sort of the same face and everything same words too there, there's you know what it's it's there's a similarity i've noticed amongst these sort of people who Tanks. run big orders or big magical groups. I mean, mm. uh, e even Maharishi, right? Like, like you said, like, yeah, mm. they, they, they have different ways of, of doing the same thing, but they all have the often have these similar qualities. Like, mm. like our, the guy who started our order is very similar to uh, Griffin and the people who start other orders. And, you know, even, even the Cicero's, um, you yeah. know, used to own a strip club and Rigardi would come and, uh, the strippers yeah. would get them to sign their That's copy true. of the Golden Dawn. My old friend Gordon described him as being mafia-like. Yeah, so when he met him, yeah, and even even in churches and big churches, yeah. the big crystal cathedrals that rake in the millions of dollars from the old ladies on TV and everything, um, similar. And uh, one thing they all have in common in the in the Western world in the Judeo-Christian egregore is they always talk about how God chose David. Not because he was perfect, but because he was, I don't know what, I, I forget the rest of that sentence. But yeah, there's always a comparison with King David and how King David had one of his most loyal generals killed because he had gotten the general's wife pregnant and then got, you know, all these like terrible things. And so when people talk about the cult leader or the priest, then they say, well, you know, it's uh, all, all fine and dandy for you to stand there in judgment. But, you know, Jesus said, judge not, lest you be judged. And do not forget, King David was also a total fucking asshole megalomaniac <laughs> who murdered people and uh, had sex with uh, women inappropriately, just, just like father, you know. And yeah. uh, that's things so you find that everywhere, I guess. Some form of that. I watched yes. the documentary on the Source family recently, and I oh, didn't know yeah. about them. I the had Source. an influence on that. Yeah, I had you, one one little thing. One I recognized thing. one of the guys from your podcast. No, no, no. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I interviewed a lot of them, but no. What happened when they were making that documentary was they were saying uh, they were saying that that you know all that all that stuff they they did uh, you know and all this stuff, and that they learned it from Crowley. You know, Crowley taught all that. Is Crowley was the source of that. And I'm like, no, Crowley was not the source. He, it was Golden Dawn. It was the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn in 1888. Crowley got all of his stuff from there. And by the way, the stuff that Father Yoga was doing came from Paul Foster Case. And he didn't even like Crowley. Paul Foster Case was a good friend of Moya Mathers. So it'd be much more appropriate for you to say Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And so there's that one part of the Source Family documentary where they talk about how Father Yod was into sex magic and Tantra and all this other stuff that he learned from the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And so then there was all this controversy and Nick Farrell writing blog posts and all this stuff about how there's no uh, sex magic in the Golden Dawn, all, all, all because of a, of a, of a miscommunication um, <laughs> between me and Isis Aquarius. <laughs> oh wow yeah wow. <laughs> sorry about that all yeah. of Don Egregore. but I, yeah <clears throat> i brought the source family up and you guys should all see that documentary it's a fascinating thing um um even i was uh, i was thrilled to see that bud um i think he's a canadian actor he did a canadian prairies movie that i saw mm. that was really rough i think it was a version like of the stone angel that horrible book they make us all read in canada 
Mm. Peter knows what I'm talking about, hopefully. <laughs> or Kelsey. Margaret Atwood, yeah. Stone Angel. Oh my God. Who has seen the wind? All that stuff. Um, it's like we don't how many stories do we need about life as a young boy on the Canadian prairies? I don't know, but mm. we've written way too many of them in Canada. Amen. Um, but the 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 um the actor from that, Bud, oh, what's his name? Bud something. He was also in one of my favorite movies ever, Harold and Maud. He actually spent some time mm. with the Source family too. A lot of really uh, interesting characters and artists spent time with the Source family, who was, and their leader has also filled this sort of similar role. He had been sort of a, a mafia type character uh, when he was younger, and then evolved into this wizard. Um, with I have a funny story about with all that. these wives, the, of course. The Bud, I'm trying to remember his name too because I actually ended up knowing him personally. Oh no um, way! That actor? Yeah, yeah. What an interesting guy. He totally played God gonna, in Dogma. In God Dogma, he was uh, yeah. in the hospital. And he was God disabled before. He God was in that Bill Murray broke. movie too. Yeah, Aqua, the Aqua Life or whatever. But uh, yeah, so the guy who played Maud, no, the guy who played Harold, <laughs> the guy who played Harold and Harold and Maud. Um, you're talking about yeah. the transgender movie you're he was, gonna make look, when he for a little while he was on. in the source family I'll just tell you this much of the story okay so there I was working at the Screen Actors Guild because unbeknownst to me my higher self thought it would be funny to watch Hollywood crumble as a result of online piracy YouTube and Netflix from the inside <laughs> and uh, so I did and uh, meanwhile they were making this source documentary and so Gin Aquarium called and I said, theatrical contracts, how may I help you? And he said, hi, my name is Jin Aquarian, and I want to file a complaint because Isis Aquarian is making this documentary and she's using my music. And, uh, and I disagree with the position she's taking about a lot of things. I'm the focus of the documentary. I think it should be more about this. And they're focusing on that. And I said, I agree. And he was like, what? You know what I'm talking about? And I said, I just got off the phone with ISIS. Actually, she's on her way here. She's going to be here in a half an hour. Um, I run the uh, the LA Sanctuary of the Golden Dawn here. So she's on her way. She's in from Hawaii, and she's going to come over tonight. Um, Zarathustra introduced me to her. Uh, but anyway, I agree with you that she's focusing on the wrong stuff. And I, I think that you should be heard, you know. And unfortunately, it's not a SAG film. So there's nothing that we can do from, from our end. But uh, here's what I think you should do. I'm going to give you the number of a good entertainment lawyer you know and so it went on like that and then then uh then i said uh by the way you guys are really lucky and he said why and i said because you got the cool names you've got maat you've got isis mercury you've got you know uh, electron you've got you know gin and uh i shouldn't say that too loud here that's a, a bad word uh, their I mean, last names bad. were all aquarian it, right? it means the same thing but but it's uh here instead of it being the the, the robin williams character in aladdin it's like demons they're actually afraid of so when you say gym people don't say that they, they you know it's, like, it's interesting but anyway so i have to be quiet um sorry brother you were saying oh they're and all their last names would be aquarian yeah yeah, yeah. they, they yeah. changed the name to t period if, aquarian if you were going to join a license. cult i'd say that would have been a fun one to join yeah well that was one stage they went through when they usually when they joined they just became a waiter at a, a vegetarian <laughs> yeah. restaurant on sunset <laughs> the neophyte grade was road. working at their yeah. restaurant yeah exactly <laughs> and then you get to go to the house and so on and so 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 yeah, so I told Jin that he was lucky because in the cults, this type of cult in the early days, you get the cool names, but in the Golden Dawn, after 130 years, you get like something that's Latin for he who gazeth at the mantle of the Lord upon which the lantern, and he's like, would you like me to give you a name in the source family? And I said, 
hell yeah, you know? So he said, uh, give me your email address. And I did. And he said, give me some time. And then a half hour later, he wrote me and said, congratulations, you are Pymander the Aquarian. <laughs> I didn't realize that, that name was 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 gifted to you, brother. Yes, it was divined oh, by wow. by the guitarist of the band of the cult. So, Very appropriate <laughs> name too, my man. So, for you. so I started talking about neo Aquarians, and then so, but the problem is there were two types of cult survivor from that one. There were the ones that still kept the name they were given and named their daughter that, you know. And then there were the other kind that were like, oh God. What was I thinking? That man got into my head. It was his voice and his charisma. God, he's some kind of crazy man. And not to mention he was a criminal. And he was. He robbed a few banks. ISIS, I told, I told ISIS, I said something to ISIS that it was a bank robber. Then and that his spiritual philosophy was a bank robber's spiritual philosophy. And she's like, he was not a bank robber. And I said, he robbed six banks. And she's like, he robbed a few banks. <laughs> but he was much more than a bank robber. You know, <laughs> and so but that was how he started the restaurant and the cult and everything was he robbed six banks. Um, he was yeah, he was a killer. He he had he had murdered two people in cold blood, and prior to that, he was a marine, and uh, obviously during like World War II, so plenty of murder going on there. So he he was so, but his whole thing was you know you should know that I'm a murderer. I'm not you know like that you know, and uh, but he went by Yahoah. So he's the he's the angry jealous god. And that we all need to become Yeshua, but his name was Yahoah. So it was like a self-aware, meta-ironic demiurge reference. So he was the cult leader, ironically, but he acted like a regular cult leader. So it's why is it ironic? I don't understand. But anyway, he it was it was good. The 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 best thing about it was he died. I mean, I don't mean to say that someone dying is a good thing, even whoever. He wasn't a terrible person, but he died before things went weird. I mean, it was weird from the beginning, but he died after five years, you know? So the cult was going strong, 120 solid members and all kinds of events and things. And then the leader died. So at that point, there were the people who drifted over here and kind of kept playing and kept talking and kept doing the thing like Jin Aquarian still, is he, he's still in the cult in his mind. And then there were the people that were like, I don't want to talk about those days. My, my name is Benjamin Johnson. You know, like, I don't want to talk about Enoch the Aquarian. Actually, Enoch the Aquarian is one of the people that, that is still into it, but he goes by Joseph Christie. Um, did I, was there a question? Oh, um, I don't know, but I, I, I was going to say the way that, that that their leader died is quite remarkable. Like honestly, Hang it's the only. It's well, the first only, he was like gave a speech. He's like he well, knew he I'm was going to die. die. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it, like I'm going to die now, but first, and yeah, and he was you. right. Yeah, and then he said yeah, they were supposed to watch over the body for eight days, so they all got arrested in Hawaii. So there's like these great like mug shots of the Aquarians that were loyal to the end. <laughs> Oh, yeah. how nice. Yeah, he's, I, I, I sent that to ISIS. I'm like, I know there must be a story behind this. And she told me. Yeah, and you get to see the footage of him going up to the cliff before he, when he tells his followers he's going to die now today. And he's like, but first I need to hang glide. He never hang glided before. He's old, big beard, gets on a hang glide, up a cliff, goes off. They all think he's going to crash and die. And that's what he meant about time to die. He hang glides right. beautifully down onto the beach. They all run and meet him. He's okay. And he's like, it's time. And he dies. <laughs> mm. was and it was so powerful, actually, because it's like that's the only cult leader death mm. I've actually heard that sort of mm. elevated the leader. 
Another one mind. was when one of the, you probably remember from the documentary, one of the sisters in the cult had a baby and it was stillborn. And they, everybody was crying like, oh God. Oh God, yeah. And Father Yod walked in and he picked up the baby and, and he, he kneeled down and prayed. And then he breathed into the baby's mouth and the baby woke up and started crying. And he handed a little slip of paper to the mother and said, that's his name. And she opened it up and it said, Solomon. <laughs> like, and it was on film. They were filming it and they, everybody was there. They, I think they were all naked. It was like, Really yeah, wild. Oh, yeah, really wild. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and they were sort of based in Pasadena near where you grew up. Uh, yeah, they were right. in Hollywood Hills. Okay, because yeah. uh, so, you're from uh, Jack Parsons' neighborhood. Yeah, basically, not far from where that was. Yeah, the Agape Oasis back then. I want to show the other two books real quick. Yeah, so Edward, uh got into uh you sent me a message one day and he said thanks for pushing me to publish and i was like what do you mean and i looked and he had put banged out all these books that because he's been writing for forever and i'm so glad you did brother i'm so glad all I, it's a copy paste you know i mean it's like these books were already written and you know arranging a few things and maybe a little proofreading you know uh but uh, so okay so after this small i published thomas on the wolf and on the back it says Edward Reeve has written a bunch of short stories, right? So then I, I published my dad's book because, you know, I kind of was planning to do that after this. And I kind of marketed it as a sequel because now that you've read Thomas and the Wolf, you might want to know a little bit more about who this Samuel character was because Samuel was based on John Dan Reeve. Here's John Dan Reeve's book, blah. Then I decided, you know, since nobody's going to wonder, but if somebody wondered like, well, where are these short stories, you know? So I decided to... I took 31 of the ones that survived. I know I've written a lot more than that, but they just, I don't have them. They're on old computers and hard drives that don't work anymore. You know, unfortunate things. The printouts, and yeah, I don't have anymore. Um, so I took the 31 I had, and I took a painting that I did that was also, I did this painting on LSD in 1998. See? Wow. And, uh, Love it, dude. Oh yeah, and so I made it the cover of this, and uh, and I took thirty one stories, and I arranged them in a way that has a nice flow and an arc, but the stories obviously aren't connected. So uh, some of them are connected, though. There's a surprise thread where two thirds of the way you realize that you are uh, that there's a thread, and you're actually halfway through it, and you didn't realize it. So that's I do recommend it. If you uh, there's the Kindle version, it's two two dollars or three dollars. I don't know. Uh, but then if you want the paperback, the paperback's available. I think it's 12. Um, Thomas and the Wolf is 12. And uh, my dad's book, I made eight. I don't want to make money off it. I just want people to buy it. Um, Very cool. Very cool. And, and then the last one that I have so far in my hand is Taco, which is much thicker. And it's if you're into poetry... <laughs> you, know, you know, this is this is poetry. This Sean's is smiling right now. Ni 1999 to 2017, which covers many of the order years too. And I don't directly talk about order stuff, but sometimes if you if you know what I'm talking about, then you'll know what I'm talking about. Like there's one point where I talk about how I had come to see the universe in terms of seven walls, each having 40 squares. And it's like, if you know about the vault, you're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So it's a commentary about that and how it's like calculus trying to uh, estimate a circle. It doesn't actually capture the circle. It just sort of tells you 
at what point it intersects with a specific kind of grid. Hence the Procrustean order of the limited value. Um, Procrustean, Procrustus was a, was a man from mythology who he had a bed you could use, but if you were too short, you had to be stretched. If you were too tall, something had to be cut off. And, um, and so it's my criticism of, uh, of Golden Dawn as a way for everyone, you know, I mean, obviously some people like it. It's for some people, they fit the bed, you know, they get to Procrustes house and say, oh, it's, it's a perfect fit. Thanks. And they have a nice sleep and they leave the next morning. And, uh, but then other people, if they think they have to fit for their loved one or their spouse or their mother, or their, you know, sometimes it, uh, it's not for everyone, you know, it doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit. You know, you get to the philosopher's grade and someone's screaming at you some kind of crazy Old Testament fire and brimstone about how evil the Edomites are. And you're like, you know what? I'm out. I actually left that kind of church a long time ago and I don't need a new one, you know? And that happens. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's why I call it the progressive order of limited value. But it's like with affection. I do also love it, you know, like, uh, but, I, but I'm going to say what I, what I have to say about it. And so anyway, um, Taco. Taco, I'm going to read one poem. Is that okay? Please I do. We'll, we'll just end with one poem. Or, or you know, I, we don't have to end. By the way, I, there's one more book. It's called Sonnet One. It's a computer program that I wrote. The program writes poetry. And if you know about Tron, then you know that if I wrote a program in an old 80s computer language that writes poetry, then that implies that in the grid, this face wearing some kind of blue light is in there reciting poetry like he thinks he's Shakespeare. So, of course, <laughs> I dressed up and, uh, so you know, meta. did that. Yeah. So so check that out. Um, actually, all you have to do is know my name and Google it. If you go to edward-reeve.com, it's all there. Just click author. And uh, the, all the five books that are available there and the three books that I'm writing right now are down at the bottom of the author page. I just added that yesterday. There's E Burrito, there's The Esoteric Nerd, and there's uh, one other one, the, the New World Empire and the Year of the Metro Coffee House. But I also have another one, Jan, uh, Dan C. Reeve, about my paternal grandfather. Okay, I'm going to read. This might be useful to some of you one day, and it might be useful to one of you today. Uh, because when one becomes a Rosicrucian, um, one takes, you know, there, there's five things that, that make you a Rosicrucian. One is uh, that at some point in your life, you have a student that is so damn serious that you basically are taking your lineage and giving it to them. They are, they are your replacement in the order. Um, that's one. Then another one is that you are a healer and you don't charge for it. So sometimes that conflicts with a lot of the new age stuff that's popular these days where yeah, they charge for healing, you know. Um, and in the Golden Dawn, they ended up charging for teaching how to be a healer. So it was sort of a loophole, like it's not charging for healing, you know. Um, I sometimes then, joke, Edward, that we that that magicians or GD people or or these or occultists, uh, Rosicrucian occultists, at least. It's, a, it's sort of, you could almost say that actually we can charge for anything but healing. Mm. Rather than saying we can't charge for healing, we can charge for anything but healing. Oh, but no, that's you could say, you know, doing a good tarot reading is a kind of healing. So charging for tarot readings means you're not a resolution. <laughs> no. Um, so, but then one of, one of those five things was whatever the hell I was talking about. Do you know where I was going with that? Yeah. Oh yeah. You have to build temples. You have to, you have to uh, go forth and, and build temples, you know? And so, so when, when, when you're in an 
a Golden Dawn order that's run by some kind of megalomaniac who's like an advertising specialist, if if that happens, then uh, you might find yourself like brainwashed in a certain specific way to where you feel guilty for not building more temples. It's a weird place to be. So, but if you're ever in a place at all like that, then maybe this one's for you, or maybe this can apply to you, even not not relating to any of that. Oh, the last two things. What are they, Frater? Do you remember? You're supposed to uh, to have a, a. It's your your the RC is your your mark, your seal, and your your character. Yeah, That's that a we general. That, yeah, yeah, uh, and that you will meet on day C. Day uh, C. And they interpret and, as Corpus Christi, but some people think it might be Christmas. And also wear the clothes of the land. Right. That you're not supposed we to blend dress in. like a weirdo, you know? And that's what you're supposed to dress like the, the people of the land, not like in, or with a yarmulke. Or, you know. Yeah, fit yeah, in. I mean, unless they wear yarmulkes. If you go somewhere where they wear yarmulkes, put a yarmulke on. You know, like, if you're a, a Christian. In the Golden Dawn, the path of the adept is referred to as the Hodos Chameleonis, or as Yates wrote it, uh, Hodos chameleontes and <laughs> the path of the chameleon which does refer to the once you enter into the solar initiation into tiferet into the center of the tree of life it means that's the stage at which you have access to the entire tree all the yeah. colored paths and all the colored sephirot so you are a, a on the path the lifelong path of the chameleon beautiful unless you get drunk <laughs> yeah yeah then yeah. you so get I'm a time out yeah yeah so, okay, so this was originally written to someone who was feeling bad for not building more temples, I guess, or something. So here it goes. <clears throat> building it is one thing. Healing it is another. Living it may include building and healing, but it is something else entirely. Don't beat yourself up for not building enough love and build what you can when the opportunity presents itself look for ways building may do good be creative but if all you're doing is building and or beating yourself up for not building enough what are you living when you wake in the morning take a deep breath ask love what you should do first when you're done with that Ask her what to do next. I guarantee if you ask her who she wants you to be, she'll say exactly who you are. Live for God, life, and the universe, not fear of failure and unrealistic expectations of yourself. Beautiful poem. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Thank you all for coming. It's getting uh, pretty darn late over here in India. <laughs> For you guys, it's uh, what, 1.30? Or some of you are in Texas? Or Brazil? What time is it in Brazil? Uh, 3.30 here in Texas. Mm, mm. 1.30 for me, uh, PM. So thank you very much for staying Absolutely. up, up oh, so certainly. late. Um, is oh, your book Burrito a, out? A burrito, E-Burrito, I'm uh, currently writing. That's, yeah, the next one's E-Burrito. So Taco yeah. and then E-Burrito. E-Burrito is next. And, uh, and that one... It, uh, taco ends. Okay. So, so I, 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 uh, one day, this is one day I was like, eh, fuck it. So I left the golden dawn, quit my job, got divorced, sold my house and left the country <laughs> all, all at once. No, no, no. I did it over the course of about a year. And, um, 
And then there I was in Nepal. And at first, these guys that spoke English very well came up and they were like, oh my gosh, oh, it's karma. Karma brought us together. You can help us pay for our children's tuition. And I was like, yeah, okay, I, I guess, you know? And then, then I, so a couple of weeks later, I'm like, and, you know, like people just look at me and they see dollar signs. Like I came there to like leave it all behind. I was thinking I'd never use a cell phone again, never be, never use air conditioning again. I was just going to go to a mountaintop or go into a cave. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I found myself on a rooftop in a rooftop restaurant having cappuccino. Do you want to hear that poem? It's the last poem of the book. I do. <laughs> and it, it's where, it's where it leaves off. Okay. Oh, good. All right. All right. So it's called Mixed. December 20th, 2017, mixed. Beautiful temples, armless beggars. A new friend who leaves in one hour, forgetting who I am, remembering who I was, avoiding other tourists, then embracing them. Casino on a rooftop where the locals won't bother me. Becoming someone my teenage self would despise. A Hinayana yogi bragging about charity. A deep look in the mirror revealing I am white. And that's the, that's the, the note it ends on. So Iberito is like, well, what happened after that? Okay, there's five years of poetry after. Um, because I'm going to publish it in uh, in 2022, and uh, and Iberito also includes poetry going back to 1992. So it's actually going to be with uh, Taco and Iberito together will be a complete 30 years of poetry. Uh, but Taco is definitely a good place to start. Iberito, I think, will be smaller than this. And uh, oh, by the way, if you're interested, I mentioned that I worked for Hollywood machinery during the 10 years that Hollywood kind of fell apart. I mean, it's still limping along in some form, but it basically went from, ah, don't worry, the internet's just a fad. Back when people like flip phones, you know, remember flip phones? And it was like, oh, it's in color. What? Jeep has a TV station on the phone? <laughs> That's weird. Oh, Axe brand has a TV station on the phone? <laughs> That's weird. And then smartphones came out and then the rest is history. And Hollywood sort of, you know, tower carded. And, uh, and I got to watch it from the inside and I wrote haikus every day. So most of this book is haikus about Hollywood slowly crumbling. Um, but very specifically, it talks a lot of shit about uh, Tom Hanks and, uh, and uh, what's the guy with the chin? You remember the, the, the guy with the big chin? Jay, Jay Leno. And, uh, and, and this, uh, particular, this particular writer for the Daily Variety named uh, Dave McNary, I guess I found myself on opposite sides of most issues with him. So I made it, made him kind of a, the butt of many jokes. And they're not actually technically haiku, they're senri. Haiku are five, seven, five and about nature or something deep. And uh, senri are five, seven, five and they're about humans and they're uh, uh, cynical and, uh, and, and sort of sarcastic and humorous. So they are, they are senri. They are definitely senri. So I call it intertunian senri because it's, it's from the point of view of Screen Actors Guild, which is an entertainment industry union for the actors. 
blah, 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 talking, talking. So taco, it's called taco, sorry, taco. Um, again, if you just search for my name, you can click on author. You can also click on movies and have a good time for many hours. And you can click on podcasts and have a good time for many more hours than that. And many click on yoga podcasts. and you can have a fun little read there. And uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. And before we let you go, yeah, thank you very yeah. much for being here, Frater. Certainly. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, before you go, maybe I thought it would be, be an interesting thing just to, uh, I want to tell people in context, because without you here, it's, there's no context. So so Edward's a very big reason why I started doing what I'm doing. In 2015, mm. I got a notification on Facebook that he was live, and I looked at it. I was uh, had just played it, finished a show with my bandmates, and I was sitting outside, We we're, uh, you know... Uh, under the moonlight in our, on our outdoor leather sofa, as one does in a band. And uh, I, I saw him doing a, a second order ritual live streamed on Facebook and publicly. And I was like, holy shit, he's doing a in order ritual live stream. So we got in touch. We talked for several hours uh, that night and we hadn't mm -hmm. really talked in over 10 years. Um, I called him once in L.A. when I was there at a business convention and uh, but he apparently was out and, and drunk and I, it was a short phone call. Um, just uh, briefly, I uh, at one point, uh, the the creepy cult leader decided he wanted to fade into the background because he had been too naughty and nobody was going to stay together if uh, if he was still the head guy. So he appointed five chiefs and he formally formally bopped us on the head with a wand or something and told us we were chiefs. And so uh, so so three of the chiefs, three of the five split from the other two and the other two were me and my teacher who wasn't a terrible guy except for the fact that he was still for some reason being loyal to the to the a-hole you know what i mean so uh eventually he left the a-hole and i was like good oh that's good and then he we went and saw the dalai lama and it's like oh i like the direction this is going and then he was like yeah you remember that woman who was a nun she's coming back and joining so we're going to have sunday compulsory meetings again and you have to be there every sunday and i was like oh oh that's a shame because I, I there's no way in hell i'm gonna do that you know and he was like well then what are we gonna do and i was like well i don't know should i leave the order and he was like well do you think that you want to do that as your path I'm like, yes <laughs> are you fucking serious and it was deep talk so we did like a formal like there were speeches and 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 clapping and stuff it was the most graceful exit i have ever heard, seen or heard of of any adept in the history of any golden dog order i swear to god it was uh, i took off my premonstrator's robe and i gave it to to todd you know and then he wore it and it was just really nice, and I left, and I never went back. And it was it was clean; it was a clean cut. And uh, but I figured that since I like the three that left, and like the one that I had just parted with, I I like I was one of the five, right? So as chief adept of my order of one, I have given myself permission to share all these things uh, with the world, you know. And uh, it started. When the, when the schism happened, I started having fratters and sores come to my house from both sides of the schism. And, uh, but they hated each other so much that nobody came because the other people were gonna be there. So I started inviting uh, the public and just friends. And so then that was when I started kind of being 
you know, people were like, well, you know, if you're going to do this, then you really ought to follow the rules, you know. And I, after I had formally left and everything and given the robe and everything, I started having classes again after a few months. And uh, and then I got a formal letter from the Temple of Isis, like, well, if you're going to have classes, you got to follow the rules. And you got and I, I wrote back and I said, oh, just to be clear, um, me and my sanctuary are not affiliated with you, <laughs> you know, like, uh, have a nice day, you know. And then I, I uh, started the Esoteric Nerd podcast. And so that was basically that so i i've just claimed the authority to do so uh but i but when people uh, compare me to crowley i mean i don't hate crowley like i was programmed to as a child but uh, but but it's not actually factually correct because he was never made a chief adept he never had the authority to reveal those things uh, whereas i was by someone who wasn't yeah. <laughs> and uh and so In our i dress was, up game i was trying to so figure serious. out how Edward had a rationale for doing this ritual online. And I was like, I gave oh, you permission. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I said, how do you justify doing this yeah. with the vow and stuff? And, and he pointed out that there was a clause in our orders version of the vow that, that unless you couldn't do the, anything basically without permission of a chief of the second order. And he yeah. was like, you can break any of the things. He was like, but if you are a chief of the second order, you can give yourself permission. That was why that clause was put in. And this actually mm. does. And I found out very recently, Edward, that this goes back actually a very long ways uh, back to the original order. Like that mm. is how they saw it. And because someone has to actually, otherwise you can't get new members and you can't tell anyone right. what you're doing if you don't have some dispensation. And in our order, it was through this yeah. clause in the vow. What do you do if there's and an it, apostasy? You need uh, you need uh, Joseph, uh, what they're to hear Maroni. Yeah, right. So, and and it's similar, it's parallel to the way in which Pat Zaleski and the other uh, modern heads of the Golden Dawn were initiated by the Fade Ra group, the last remaining Golden Dawn Temple in New Zealand, where they altered the vows for them so that they would be able to share and teach and publish all the material mm. that we all can buy in stores today. And that's why the Golden Dawn tradition is alive and well, is because of those sort of dispensations. A lot of people, of course, don't care about any of that stuff at all. But I thought it would be an interesting point of sort of history and procedure as to how this came about and and yeah. uh, when he pointed that, I was like, oh, well, this is interesting. And after a couple of years of prodding and being on his podcast and oh, deep soul searching and talking with my own higher genius, I, uh, you know, I've done what I've done the last five years. So it's a uh, thank you very much, Edward, for uh, bringing bringing a, a, my own sense of ownership and personal responsibility back into an active role in my life so that the oh, magic yeah. could be a part of my life again in a way that actually brought abundance and i appreciate that so thank you very oh, much yeah. oh yeah absolutely thank you very much for for saying all that um so thank you very very much for being absolutely. with us and giving us a look at the u1 and the tree of life and then all your work it's just great um it's well, everything you. you're doing is fucking awesome and i hope you uh keep riding out this uh this new world that we find ourselves in and hope your wife is well and yeah, share, keep sharing your adventures. I know, uh, I know you might be on a podcast of one of us here soon. Uh, Good. Well, I, I just noticed the chat for the first time. Yeah. Oh, and there's always a demon. Yes, established. Okay, sorry. That was a great line, brother. And there's always <laughs> a demon. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. I recommend. I recommend episode seventy-seven of Esoteriner, even though it doesn't seem interesting. From and the what's the episode with the band for? <laughs> Hermetic Horror of the Golden Dawn, who played at CBGB's, where they're like, Wood Moon and Win Westcott built a temple. Episode 23 with Brian Dahl, B R Y I N D A L L. An amazing episode just for cultural history, honestly. You, did, you knocked that one yes. out of the park. I was anyway, so happy to interview him. 
thank yeah thank you so much for spending so much time with yeah. us and just this is just such a treat um yeah, you're much braver than me wearing your lawman on the outside uh, when we all do ritual yeah. work i wear mine on the inside because i'm not quite i'm not quite as brave as you um that's was, not actually the a, reason of course i think i remember the day that i decided you know it was the same day that i took down my curtains so my neighbors could see me too it was a little interesting a psychological thing to go through you know yeah, it was interesting. I think your role in the culture and its development in our time point in history, brother, will be noted in the future, shall we say. <laughs> no, I thank think, you. Yeah. 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 Look out for the Esoteric Nerd uh, book next year. I'm writing, uh, well, I'll, that's all I'll say about that. When my dad and I would meditate when, when I was young, we would close the meditation in a particular way. And, uh, you know, we could close it. <clears throat> Let's do it. Optional to close your eyes. It's up to you to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below. We send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Thank you, very honored Frater R.C. And thank you to everyone who attended. The new one inspiration, imagination, and creativity lecture that I gave yesterday, I think. Um, and uh, special thanks to Susumu Ueda, and his father and the other monks at Jofukuin on Mount Koyasan in Japan. For the music you're hearing right now, which is actually the same track that was playing at the beginning of every episode of the Esoteric Nerd podcast. So, thank you. Really, thank you. It's, it's so good. Um, a special thanks to Camille and Kennerly for the harp music leading into and out of the lecture in this case today and uh, most importantly thank you to you the esoteric nerd looking into my no uh, listening to this podcast or watching this podcast right now go forth in love truth and knowledge you know there was an episode uh I don't know which episode it was, but I said I was going to... Yeah, it was the first of the two-parter with RC a few episodes back. And I said I was going to play Brian Dahl's uh, opening by Watchtower. And then I played Brian Dahl's uh, Invocation of the Bornless One. What kind of dunce-ass uh, occultist stuff is that? That's, that's like a rookie mistake. I, 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 I need to proofread more. Proof listen in this case. So uh, today, to make up for that, I'm going to go ahead and we're, we're going to close with Brian Dahl uh, performing the opening by Watchtower. Good night.
Thank you.